how effective is, is a good question? Well, eight percent uh, on average, eight percent, eight percent. So there has been so many studies on the effect of lossy feedback as people exercise across more than t- you know almost thirty years of research, and there has never been one study that has showed that the provision of lossy-based feedback decreases or has a harmful effect. Every single time, it's shown a positive effect. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is all about velocity-based training. So we've got someone who I firmly believe is an expert in this area, and that's Jonathan Weekly. So John Weekly, who's a good friend of mine, and he comes on this podcast to discuss velocity-based training, which is a a topic that ebbs and flows in terms of the interest in our industry, from my opinion. But the more work that Jono and his colleagues and other people around the world do, the more compelling it becomes. So it's really interesting uh, chat with Jono to discuss how we can use velocity-based training, why it does ebb and flow, and the technology behind it and how that's developing. So a really interesting hour with Jono talking about velocity-based training. So if you are interested in, or probably not sold yet, when it comes to velocity-based training, the next hour will be a really good listen. So over to Jono. This episode of the Pace of Performance podcast is sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. The powerhouse platform increases efficiency, saves paper, and can handle any type of programming. It's a perfect fit for professional and academy teams, performance institutes, schools, and universities. Team Builder is full of tools that help coaches' needs. Multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting, just to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with promo code SPORTSMITH to start your 30-day free trial. Also sponsoring this episode is Play. Play is the leader in high-performance athletic flooring and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organisations through their own proprietary formula to create world-class environments for coaches and athletes. Play's Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf have been at the cornerstone of elite training facilities for now over a decade, With the addition of the new Icon X rack range, Play are once again set to elevate the industry. On the 23rd of April 2022, Play will be hosting their first UK lab of the year in collaboration with Loughborough University. Play will be joined by some exceptional speakers from elite sport, industry and academia with a huge breadth of knowledge and experience. Listeners and supporters of Pace Performance Podcast are able to obtain an exclusive 20% discount using the code SPORTSMITH20 when registering at playacademy.com forward slash play hyphen labs hyphen Loughborough. So without further ado, over to the episode with Jono. Jono Weekly, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. It's an absolute honour and pleasure to have you. 
Oh, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's been a long time com- coming, Rob, and uh, I'm glad to be here. It's absolutely <laughs> amazing to have you. We only caught up uh, last week, maybe the week before, last last week in, in Brisbane and my, my little my little trip out there. So it's um, it's good to get together again. But for anyone that doesn't know who you are, who you are Jono, before we get into the, the VBT chat, because anyone that knows your name has come across your name, will associate associate you with with your work in VVT, which is fantastic, and that's what we're going to dive into. But anyone that doesn't know who you are beyond that, would you mind just giving us a brief bio? Yeah, thanks, Rob. As, um, so my name is uh, Jonathan Weekly, Jono for short, and I am from the south of New Zealand, born and, uh, born and bred in uh, uh, Aotearoa, New Zealand. So grew up in uh, Christchurch, ended up doing um, sports and exercise nutrition because I, I was adamant I was going to become a dietitian, uh, like my sister. And uh, I went down to Otago to do my bachelor's of sports and exercise nutrition. And then I uh, got the uh, opportunity to then go over to Wollongong where I did my dietetics. And um, <clears throat> during that period there, I thought, geez, I, uh, you know, it'd be really good and healthy for myself would be to do a second master's. So I enrolled in another master's in strength and conditioning at the same time. Uh, and then I was uh, doing that strength and conditioning master's over at Western Perth. And I, um, and then I thought, geez, my whole life I thought I was going to be a dietitian, but I realized I'm okay at dietetics, but I'm really good at the strength and conditioning stuff. And around that time, I was exceptionally fortunate to um, meet uh, Professor Ben Jones and Professor Kevin Till, who um, were my supervisors for my PhD, and they took me out to the north of England, where I actually met you, Rob. I was saying earlier, uh, I know, mate, that I met you on the same day I met my missus. And, um, and I did my PhD with uh, England Rugby. And I had the fortunate, for, good fortune of doing a PhD embedded in professional sport, working with athletes each day, and also being able to learn from those athletes and also do research which wasn't only you know, interesting, but was also really useful. Um, I was very, very fortunate to uh, take on a postdoctoral position with RFU, and then um, you know, probably after five years in the, in the north of England, uh, um, I was starting to look a bit pale and a bit ghostly, so I um, went home to... Um, well, well, why I call now home is, is Brisbane in Australia, where I work at Australian Catholic University here. Um, yeah, so it's uh, based in Australia, but um, as you know, I do, I do a fair bit of traveling around most of the time now uh, between US, Europe, and Australia and New Zealand, uh, consulting and researching and working with sports teams. And um, But yeah, this is, this is me now, back at Australian Catholic University. Not as pale and not as ghostly. Got a little bit more colour. Yeah, a lot yeah. more colour about you. <laughs> Unlike yeah, me. Yeah, for sure, man. Unlike me. <laughs> right, mate. So let, let's dive. So thank you for that. Let's let's dive into the, the VBT stuff. So not velocity-based training is not new. We all we all know that. But where has where has it come from, and where do you think it's going? Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it's a good question, and um. Where it's come from and where it's going, I think, I think first and first and foremost, we probably need to establish what it is and what it's not as well. So um, yeah, as you said, it's, it's not new. Athletes and coaches um, have been using VBT for for decades, and coaches have known that it's important to expose athletes to a range of velocities as they exercise, which is determined by the load on the bar. And we, because we know that sport is completed at a range of velocities you know you've never seen Lionel Messi or Ronaldo or you know Richie McCaw do a 300 kilogram back squat or deadlift in the middle of a game no they, they exercise at velocities so the thing is is that we know that we need to we, we know that we need to exercise across a range of velocities and we need to nip the idea in the bud that it's actually something new because Soviet strength coaches back in the day 
you know, we're, we're talking about strength, speed and speed strength. And, you know, think about things like uh, Westside Barbell. They talk about dynamic effort days and training at 0.8 meters per second. And all of this stuff was going on far before I was born. It's probably going to be going on far after I leave. And it's something that's been implemented in sports uh, and sporting environments more and more, reg- uh, more and more so recently because um, it's just now that the technology is becoming more available and the masses are able to say, hey, I'm not like every other athlete. I am my own person and I need individualized training. And that, so now we can start to use this technology to actually help work with sporting teams and complete research or whatever it is that you want to do with it. Um, second of all, I think VBT is not a method that must work in isolation. It's made to work within a training program and be tapered up or down depending on the context of that sporting environment. So, um, for example, during a, during a power phase, you can provide feedback to athletes to enhance the velocity of the bar as they're exercising. And you can help drive greater intent with that velocity feedback. And that's velocity-based training. But we also know that you can monitor testing, like you can implement velocity-based test, uh, training in testing batteries. So we could set an athlete two points. I'm uh, sorry, a set load and test them across two points and see if their performance improves by the bar moving faster over time. Because if the bar moves faster, that means they're getting stronger. And to be honest, maximal strength is quite a crude measure. Realistically, we need to be performing submaximal efforts like we do in sport with maximal intent or submaximal loads with maximal intent. So we can actually use velocity-based training and testing. Additionally, you can modify training load based on things like arbitrary thresholds and you know, you know, cutting off a set to dictate the volume and ensure proximity to failure is appropriate no matter, no matter when you're training. And all of these methods can be used with other methods. That could be with an RPE method or a percentage-based method or a reps and reserve method. But all of those, all of these velocity-based training methods can be implemented and aren't made to be working in a silo. And finally, and the amount of hate mail I get about velocity-based training is kind of astounding. Cause people people are so wedded to their to their their beliefs, but um, it's not some sort of um, VBT Illuminati sort of like gig. It's not like Brian Mann, me, Amador Garcia Ramos, like sitting at the VBT convention each year having a laugh. It's 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 a method that we use with sports sporting teams and coaches, which is fundamentally based in physics biomechanics and physiology just like all training should be so that kind of then takes me to what is vbt and vbt is a method that uses velocity to inform or enhance training practice and as i said it doesn't work in a in a training silo and it works with other training methods to enhance our training practice and why it works is because it's based in three fundamental tenets of training so We know first and foremost that as barbells get heavy, barbells go slower. It's really, really hard to move a barbell quickly if it's really, really heavy. So that gives us an idea of intensity. We also know that as as we get fatigued, barbells go slower. So, you know, your your 10th rep is going to be slower than your first or second rep because you're fresher under first or second rep. And the third tenet of velocity-based training is that there is a terminal threshold where you cannot exercise for each exercise. So, for example, in the in the back squat, you can't really squat below approximately 0.25. We're not able to as humans. It's, it's near impossible. 
and the bench press is about 0.13 approximately. There's a, there's a little bit of give and take here. You know, for the prone row on the bench pull, you know, people can't exercise below 0.48 approximately. So what we now have is if we know that there's a prox there's a point of failure and you can't exercise below that, and that is the point of failure, and you know that as barbells get heavier, barbells go slower, and as barbells as people exercise, the barbells go slower, you know proximity to failure and where failure is going to occur so that you can ensure that the training stimulus is appropriate for the athlete. And so that's VBT and you can use all these methods with all your training programs throughout the year. And where it's going to go into the future is that realistically that we're going to understand that it's 2023 and furthermore we should be embracing our athlete differences and that we should be accepting our athlete differences and using some of this information to ensure that our athletes have their training programs individualized for them based on their own capacity. And a classic example of this, Rob, is that, and I'm going to tell you a little secret here because I don't know how, how, how much people know about this sort of stuff, but it seems pretty common sense. Is, you know those little t- tables in the NSCA textbook where it say oh, t- you know, 10 reps at 75%, you know, 12 reps is 70% and 15 reps is 65%. Well, there's over 300% variance in those numbers. So I might have an athlete who can uh, work, who complete 15 reps at 75%. But I might have another athlete who can complete only 7 reps at 75%. It's because athletes are often genetic freaks and they're trained to be freaks. And we don't, and those tables are based on average data, but I'm not working with ath- average athletes. I'm working with the best. I'm working with the greatest. And I'm trying to individualize to ensure that the adaptations are appropriate and the stimulus is appropriate. So what we're trying to do with velocity-based training is help individualize a little bit better and ensure that the feedback or the information that we're using in our training is helping to maximize our training, uh, our training programs, training performance, and training adaptations. And as people start to embrace this idea that velocity can be useful it's not trying to take away from all this great things that we've done in the past but it can inform and enhance our training i think that's where really where uh, vbt is going in the future and you see nowadays that sporting clubs schools you know individual athletes they're all using these tools things like gym wear perches push bands and these all help monitor training loads and training volumes and intensities and I think um, that people will start to understand that, you know, we're not, it's not either or, it's not percentages versus velocity-based training, it's percentages and velocity-based training, and we're working together to make our athletes better. And I think that's really, um, really what we're seeing. And let's be honest, we're seeing all, this, all of this velocity-based technology being implemented at universities, being taught at universities, and also clubs implementing it. So I think the next generation of uh, strength coaches will have a really good grasp of um not only the, what we've historically known about, you know, train at X percentage of your max or do X reps, they're also going to start implementing velocity into their training programs. And it makes sense, doesn't it? So good, Jono. Very, very slick, <laughs> as, as, I knew, as I knew it would be. Um, so the hate mail. Why are you getting the hate yeah. mail? I love, I love that. I love that. <laughs> oh, mate, mate, I swear down, I, went, I once went to a conference and I, I, I presented like, a 10 minute kind of a, <laughs> a topic once and I got 
followed out of the conference and just like accosted. I, and I genuinely, th- 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 this, this person is quite established individual, and he had, he, had, he had to get. We had to tell him to calm down and go take a breather. It's just like as people are so wedded to these ideas that oh, velocity based training is this or that, or yo yo, we've been doing that for twenty years. It's like nah, man. Like come on, bro. We're all trying to improve our athletes' performance, and it's not taking away from all the great things and information that we've had in the past. Like I read Zatsiorsky, I read you know Matt Viev and all those sorts of texts. I like you know, <laughs> like I'm trying to read Swedish, uh, learn Swedish at the moment, so I can learn about more of the Swedish strength and conditioning coaches. And the thing is, is that none of that takes away from that previous information. Actually, those coaches were talking about those aspects. But the thing is, is that now we've got the technology to actually monitor this uh, these. these the velocity as we're exercising and these kinetic and kinematic pieces of information so that we can actually improve our athletes um improve our athletes performance and i'll also add that it's um sometimes really misleading because people often don't know what velocity based training is and they say oh we did a meta-analysis and you know for any anyone who's listening doesn't know what a meta-analysis is it's where you combine all this information into one topic but velocity based training cannot be meta-analyzed it's so many different topics that you can't just squish it into one paper and say, oh, yeah, yeah, they all do the same. You know, that's just as effective as something else. It's because you need context and, con- like, you know, the, you can't just throw, you know, oh, well, we used VBT to um, compare to percentages because there's so many different aspects of VBT. So we need we need to use that VBT in context because it's extremely powerful when when you use it contextually correct. Did you have a similar T-shirt on when he accosted you outside the conference? Because if you did, he's a brave man. <laughs> he's a brave man. Well, when you're five foot seven and Maori, bro, it's, uh, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to look like I do, bro. And so, uh, yeah. Um, but the thing is, is that um, no, nah, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty confronting, and uh, it was it was interesting because um, I'd looked, I'd grown up looking up to this individual, and um, you know, and it, it, was, it was it was a dismay. I was quite dismayed to kind of see that that. But I was surprised that people were so passionate about this topic because at the end of the day, we're trying to improve our athletes through physical development and through proper training and having more information doesn't doesn't take away from that. If anything, it adds to it. And, you know, so I, I was quite I was quite surprised. And uh, some of the yeah, but some of the some of the, the messages I get on social media and uh, uh, over email are always interesting and peer reviews are always a, a bit of a struggle. Do you, do you, do you think because people are married to one particular thing and they think velocity yeah. based training has to be yeah. the whole package, yeah. like influencing yeah, totally. every small decision within a program versus like you say, just mm. complementary to your traditional yeah. percentage based training. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely, and you know, like I worked with, um, you know, a, gr- a Great Britain um, sprinting athlete. You know, unbelievable athlete. You know, was springy as anything, and I, um, I had the, I had the privilege of working with that individual three times a week, one on one in the gym. <clears throat> and yeah, great. We could use velocities to guide pretty much every decision because we know that as barbells go slower, barbells you know there's either fatigue or the, the barbells getting heavier and the thing is is that i know i need to expose this athlete to the range of velocities as they exercise so i could just program based off those velocities so ensure the barbell was getting heavier each week and the barbell was slowing down even as they were adapting so we could ensure that the training program was always correct for the athlete but <clears throat> 
the reason I got into velocity-based training, and this is, this is quite a story, and I think most, most coaches have these stories, stories but I, I remember staying up to about 4 a.m. one morning, and I um, had coaching at about 6 or 6.30 in the morning. And I, I, you know, I had these pristine training programs. And they were, you know, three sets of 10 or four sets of 12, all that sort of stuff. Can't remember. But all the boys came in and, um, you know, some were a bit banged up from the, from the weekend on the, uh, on the, um, fr- from the game on the weekend. And then we also had um, some athletes who were fresh. And despite my, my best laid plans of doing 10 repetitions, some were only able to get five or six before they were failing. Other athletes were saying, coach, is that it? So what I started to realize was that actually there was this flux of wide groups of athletes and I just needed to find a way to help monitor and guide their training a little bit better. And this is where VBT really started to take interest for me. And so I started just using feedback. I knew I, I had 45 athletes in the squad and I was one person on the ground. And I knew that if you had more uh, you know more supervision where this is well established throughout the literature greater supervision as individuals um, train improves um, improves physical adaptation so how can I increase this supervision when I'm with just one person well I could put a, a gym aware on every single rack and I could ensure that they're getting feedback and then I could look over those numbers as they were training and I could look back at past sets and I could have greater conversations with these athletes. But on top of that, we also started to realize that, hey, these barbells are moving faster because they're getting the feedback and boys are starting to get wild in the gym. You know, they're more motivated and they're more competitive. And that's where we started to really delve into this feedback element, that athletes were starting to use greater intent and that in, indeed our training performance was improving. And guess what? We ended up doing a training study and showing that if you provide them feedback chronically, they get even uh, they, they adapt even more than athletes who aren't being provided feedback. Everyone's improving, but one group of athletes are improving even more. So that, that, that for me was really where it started. And that's a completely different situation from 45 athletes in a squad to one athlete one-on-one. The thing is, is that you can be a great weightlifting coach, you can be a great powerlifting coach, you can be a CrossFit coach, and you can use different elements of VBT to inform your training prescription. If you're a weightlifting coach, you might say, all right, we're going to have like clusters, and you're going to terminate a set once it hits a certain velocity. For a, you know, for a, for a CrossFitter, you might say, hey, we're going to focus on you know, uh, muscular endurance. And we're going to focus on power endurance specifically. So we're going to try and get as many reps out before you hit a certain cutoff. And on top of that, you might say, I'm a bodybuilder. Well, that means you might only stop the set once they go below a certain threshold so that they're in close proximity to failure because we know that proximity to failure is important for muscle hypertrophy. So you can use it in a range of different ways. And it might just be that you're providing feedback for them. But but what we can show is that you can use this information to better guide your athletes and stimulate conversations as well. So yeah, and I think... um, and, and Probably, probably the simplest form of VBT, which is feedback, is the most effective. How, we did how a big meter now. Oh, Scott, yeah. mate, you're gonna, you're gonna, yeah. you're gonna answer the question before I. Before yeah, 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 yeah. My, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let me go, man. I'll just talk for 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> um, but I think, I think, how, how effective is, is a good question? Well, eight percent on average, eight percent. 8%. So there has been so many studies on the effect of lossy feedback as people exercise across more than, you know, almost 30 years of research. And there has never been one study that has showed that the provision of lossy based feedback decreases or has a harmful effect. Every single time it's shown a positive effect. 
And that's incredibly hard or rare to see in the literature because there's so many different contexts. And we showed that every time that athletes are being provided feedback, they improve by a certain percentage, and on average it's 8%. The crazy thing about that is, Rob, I train athletes for three to five years to get three to five percent improvements. You know what I mean? So if I can have instantaneous improvements of approximately 8% and improve performance by a huge amount, well, I'm, I'm an excellent strength and conditioning coach all of a sudden, you know? And it's by so simple, just by providing a little bit of feedback. But the, the, the cool thing is, is that we're not just interested in acute performance because it's really cool that I can lift a barbell faster and put out more power. But the thing I'm really interested in, this is what coaches should be interested in, is that how does it transfer to physical adaptations? And well, if you provide athletes chronic feedback, so over a training cycle, they get feedback chronically across all their exercises you see greater chronic adaptations. So we know that as athletes train, we see improvements. But the improvements with feedback is even greater than normal training. So all of a sudden, by providing basic feedback, athletes are improving to a greater extent. And we've seen this in jumps, sprints, strength exercises. And we just did a big systematic review and meta-analysis, which doesn't sound like the most interesting thing to do. But geez, when the findings are that clear, it's really interesting. Because all of a sudden, we've got the simplest tool making massive differences for our athletes. And every single study to date has shown a positive effect. Not once has there been null effects or harmful effects. Everyone is conclusively seeing positive effects. So for the last 20 minutes, I'm sold, right? If you're selling VBT, not that you are selling VBT, but if you were selling VBT, (laughs) I'm buying. I'm buying. So, and this is one thing we spoke about when I was over there uh, last week, and this is just from my my environment, work, like working in football, seeing going into football clubs, maybe less so rugby clubs, but and, and only in the UK, by the way. In terms of adoption to velocity-based training, it seems to me that based on what you've just said for the 20 minutes, like it's a no-brainer, it's a no-brainer for everyone. So why hasn't it become a no-brainer for everyone? To me, and this is just looking at trends from speaking to people, social media, articles, research, it seems to spike. It seems to ebb and flow, depend like as a, a trend may do. But why isn't it, it's, why isn't it, it doesn't feel like it's like embedded completely, even in the environments that seem to revel in it it seems to ebb and flow so what, what's your what's your thoughts on that is it just my, my bias from what i'm seeing or is that is that the state of play yeah no it's a good point mate well um let me put it like this i i, I it's, it's a really good point and i and i think that there's a couple of things you know like um i think bias is, is a fair thing you know if you're if you're looking for it you often see it. It's like when you learn a, a new word and you hear it all the time, all of a sudden. It's because before that you didn't know about it. And I think um, I, I would probably counter that with the, with, the, with the point that I haven't been into a, you know, a professional sporting team in years and not seen you know, accelerometers, linear position transducers, camera-based systems. I see them everywhere. You know, like, like, I, like I'm a big, I'm a Kiwi, Kiwi I, I love watching the All Blacks and all that sort of stuff, but I look on the Instagram, 
and Nick Gill's got the gym wearer out and the barbell's going up and down and the boys are reading out velocities. Yeah, I see that because I, I'm, I'm looking for it. But even like, let's go to a level below. Like I, I, I work with a range of professional sporting teams from the top of the tops down to community level sport. And I, I went down to a club the other day, a rugby club, and um, they had gym wears. They had, they had technologies which were monitoring velocity. Furthermore, I work with sports teams. We've got you know PhD students who work with uh, sports teams who uh, base at high schools. They've got gym wears, you know. And on top of that, I um, I work at a university. We have whole whole weeks dedicated to velocity velocity based training. And that was before I came. That was well before I came, mate. So the thing is, is that it is everywhere, and the technology is everywhere. It's just often, um, you're right, it ebbs and flows and people often don't know necessarily how to implement it or they don't know necessarily that they're doing VBT every single day because VBT can be so simple. It can be as simple as just providing feedback to the athletes or monitoring changes over time or saying, um, you know, oh, you improved by X amount on this lift. See, this is all velocity-based feedback. Uh, Sorry, velocity-based training. And um, I think it, it's far more common than people are willing to to kind of almost acknowledge. It, it's everywhere. Um, it's just that when you're looking for it, it's far more common, I think. And yeah, I had a meeting with a netball club today, you know, and they they tell me oh they had three gym wears and they were doing trap bar jumps with it. And I thought, great, that's VBT right there. Nice. Well, so you, you mentioned a few in your in the first um, first section uh, using cutoffs. Um, et cetera, et cetera. And you put a, you had a nice little figure that I, that I sent, obviously you've seen it many, many times, but I sent it to you anyway and said, I'm going to reference this. Um, a, a figure continuum, less use of velocity, um, greater use of velocity. Would you, and there's a number of things, um, nine things on that, on that continuum, in terms of the different ways that we can use velocity-based training, what are the most widely used? What are the most? I mean, we've we've touched on feedback. Obviously, that's that's one of them, huge. What are the other, pretty more technical ways that we can use VBT that are most used, most beneficial, most easily implemented? And again, it completely it completely um, depends on the athletes that you're working with in the context of your environment. So again, going back to my time in, in rugby, where I had 45 athletes, I might have one intern or two interns, and you, you can kind of overdo it. In terms, we've seen that we see that all the time. Um, but the thing is, is you need people you trust as well. So what what I found was, I'd say I'd get on a box. I'm a small fella, so I'd stand up on the box so everyone could see me, and I would. Um, I would say, all right, lads, you know, we're doing four sets of um, 10. If the barbell goes below X, X velocity, just rack the bar for me, all right? And that was my way of controlling the fatigue so that they weren't going to failure or they weren't just grinding out really slow reps. And it was just a safety measure that I put in place. The boys understood it. They went, okay, cool. I got it. You know, again, things like feedback are really simple, particularly during feedback, uh, during like power mesocycles. Alternatively, during preseason, where we would have, um, where we we would have, uh, you know, a real focus on like kind of development of muscle mass um, and muscular endurance. I would say to them, all right, lads, you know, we're doing um, four sets. The barbell can only stop once you get below a certain speed. And we ensured an aspect of proximity to failure there. And we know that, that the individual is being stimulated. Um, alternatively, um, 
and, th- and this is something that's always amazed me about strength and conditioning, is that when you test, you're often in a standardized fatigue-free state, right? You know, you have the weekend off, and Monday, lads, we're going to go do a one-arm back squat. But when you train across a mesocycle, you're not fresh because you've been training, you've been training on the field, you've been just doing multiple sets and things like that. And we can ensure that we can use their load velocity profile to monitor the loads. So for example, if I know, if I know um, as an example that an individual should be squatting around 0.7 meters per second at 100 kilograms, and I can see that they've had a field session and they're squatting about 0.55 on their first rep, I'll say, look, mate, let's just take five kilograms off each side, make sure the load's appropriate for what we're trying to stimulate and try, we're trying to target, and we'll still do those 10 reps that we had prescribed or whatever it might be. It helps guide discussions. You know what I mean? It helps us go, hey, why are you squatting at 0.55? Why are you lifting that speed? Because that testing session, which was a month ago, which is, let's be honest, probably no longer relevant because they've done a whole lot of field sessions or they've adapted and gone stronger over time. How many times have you worked with an athlete and gone, oh, we're going to have to put the weights up by 10 kilograms across every lift? Yeah, because that's adaptation. No brainer, right? But the thing is, is that um, you, you know, it helps guide those conversations, ensure that the loads are consistently appropriate across the training mesocycle. And you can just use those velocities to help guide our training decisions. Because if you've got 100 kilograms on the paper and say four sets of 100, like the paper isn't my boss. You know what I mean? The, the training program isn't my boss. I'm trying to make the, sure the athlete is adapting as they should. So I want to make sure the load is appropriate. So even just basic conversations. Hey, that barbell is moving a bit slow today. What's going on? You know, I've had more, I've, I've had more com- good conversations start from having a little bit of lossy feedback than I've ever had, you know, from just eyeballing barbells going up and down. You know what I mean? Because I have so many more eyeballs kind of available because I've got all these iPads or tablets going in the gym where I can see the velocity feedback and I can start a conversation with the athlete. I go, hey, what's going on, man? Why, why aren't you performing like you, you usually are? Something's wrong. Or, hey, you're looking good. Let's chuck five kilograms on and see if we can really push this boat out and see where we can go. But there's so many different aspects and it really depends on the context. And as I said, you can taper it up or taper it down upon the, on the context. It's never 100% VBT. You know, it's like that, like saying, never go 100% VBT. You know what I mean? But in, in reality, it's, um, it's made to support and inform and enhance the training process. It's, it's not one or the other. It's never one or the other. And you can use RPE and VBT and a little bit of percentages all mixed together. It depends on your context. Don't blow people's minds yet, Jono. Say they can actually, <laughs> actually, actually use one or the other. They can use both. So, Jono, the, the, the terminal velocities of each individual exercise, like you mentioned, do we, especially those, because the majority of people listening will have, I'm guessing, will have large groups to, to deal with and probably not tons of tech is the individualization of that terminal velocity something that people should be worried about or should they take numbers in the literature and use that as the guide because how, how much individualization is there um yeah so so you might say in the back squat for example let's just use common exercise um everyone pretty much does um you know some people might be able to squat 0.27 some people might be able to squat 0.23 but we're talking about like 0.0 two meters per second and the thing is is that people great like great work has been done by people like Amador Garcia Ramos who have um 
you know, established all these velocity, like terminal velocity thresholds and exercises that are freely available on the internet. You can just you can just grab them and just go, okay, here's the proximity, the fa- here's the terminal velocity. Let's make sure that we're either close or far away from it, depending on the physical um, physical capacity that we want. And there's some great research about how if you go further away or closer to failure you can actually stimulate type 2 or type 1 muscle fibers really really cool stuff and that was the stuff that really made me go all right i'm gonna i'm gonna get my academic hat on and dive into this sort of stuff but um this information is is freely available and you can just just google it you know i mean i think i I think in my 2021 paper i i i provide them all um so the thing is is that it, it is available and the individualization um has you know some people might be able to squat 0.26 and someone's 0.24 but if that's the thing of having a good day and a bad day we need to get our priorities in order eh? you know what i mean it's um you know 0.02 meters per second shouldn't shouldn't change uh our physical adaptations by that much so yeah if you're training right to failure what does it matter anyway Do you think, I mean, just looking at this figure here, so velocity-based training continuum highlighting the various emphasis on velocity within a training program, because there is nine things there, do you think that sometimes makes people a little bit overwhelmed thinking velocity-based training is this this big thing that I'm trying to wrap my head around when actually picking individual things that work for you based on the, you know, your, your, your environment and your group and your uh, what adaptations you want? Do you think they get, sometimes get a little bit overwhelming? Yeah, for sure. And it's, uh, I'll, I'll raise Not your my phone, hand. By the way. Show, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the point? Thanks, man, I do appreciate it. Yeah, I, uh, I did. I, did, I thought I did a good job. Um, no, I, um, <laughs> you did an amazing no. job. Um, no, you're right, mate. And and let me put it like this: if when people had, you know, when SNC and resistance training was starting to get rolled out in university and textbooks were coming out and people had been taught about velocities of bars rather than percentages from a previous max, people would go, yeah, that's a no-brainer because people adapt or get fatigued over time. Velocity is velocity. It's always the same. You'd go, yeah, why are we using that thing from six weeks ago which is no longer relevant? What about that barbell that's going up and down and we, we know how fast it's going? Every, everyone would just use, use that but because we've been taught one paradigm and now we're trying to say hey let's change that paradigm to implement some velocity aspects yeah it can be really overwhelming and geez like you know I do papers and sometimes I'm reading them and going don't even know if I understand what I'm saying here but I think as long as you get the basics down and understand that you know you can taper it up or down and you can um and ensure appropriate physiological responses. I think it should be relatively simple. And and I think the easiest way to kind of dip your toe into the old uh, pool of VBT is just um, just providing basic feedback as athletes to train. But but there are some amazingly complex aspects of VBT as well. Like for example, we know that through prescribing relative velocity loss thresholds. So for example, if I do a 10, 20, 30 percent velocity loss threshold based off a certain set point we can induce the exact same physiological response time and time again. <clears throat> now, when you think about this, um, now I'm going to get re- a little bit complex here, but if you if you do uh, you know three five sets of ten at the start of preseason, you're often quite sore. But by the end of preseason, if you do the exact same training program, exact same percentage, re- relative percentage of your maximum, same number of repetitions, same number of sets, you're not sore because you've adapted over time. But the thing is, with prescribing relative velocity loss thresholds, we had to do this really intense project where we were showing that, hey, 
if you prescribe with a set velocity and terminate them at a set velocity, terminate the set, the physiological stimulus is exactly the same because they're in an identical place or proximity to failure. Bro, that's amazing. That's an amazing finding because I don't care if you can prescribe something once. I, prescribe, I care if you can prescribe something and do it time and time again. Another analogy could be like, imagine if I went to a doctor and I said, I've got a headache. And he said, okay, cool. You know, he or she, she gave me a Nurofen. And I said, so two of these? And she goes, yeah, it might cure the headache or it might kill you. I'd say that's a bad doctor. But, you know, we don't do that because in medicine and prescript, when we prescribe with medicine, we ensure that the, the, the response is always the same or tries to be as similar as possible. But in SNC, we forget about that similarity. You need to be able to prescribe something, ensure the response, and then do it later on in the year and prescribe the same thing and have that same response. And velocity-based training or prescribing of relative velocity loss thresholds is the only way we can do that that I've ever seen in the literature. There's only been a couple of studies that have ever employed those training sort of models. But, um, you know, that, that's an incredibly complex, kind of mind-blowing concept to get your head around. But providing just basic feedback, oh, barbells go zoom, jeez, that's really simple. Improve your motivation. Damn right. Yeah, da- damn right, barbell went zoom. I'm going to lift it faster next time too. You know what I mean? <laughs> just on the velocity... Um, velocity loss thresholds can you give us a bit more like how how are people using them effectively to get different uh, adaptations yeah yeah for sure so um, for example and there's heaps of different ways we can implement them but you might start at a set speed so you lift the barbell up and it goes up 0.7 meters per second and we know that if you go closer to failure you're going to induce more muscular hypertrophy because you're going to be completing more volume. But you're also going to be causing those muscles to have to do, you know, be more endurance focused, if you know what I mean, because you have to do more reps, more volume, closer to failure, slower reps, more muscular hypertrophy, more endurance orientated. But on top of that, we could do a smaller velocity loss threshold. So rather than doing, say, a big velocity loss threshold of 30 or 40%, we might use a 10% velocity loss threshold. And that what that does is ensures that the barbell doesn't go too slow, ensures that velocity stays high, and because we know velocity times force equals power, we know that our, our power stays high, and we're training our athletes to be powerful, it helps our athletes you know, to recruit different muscle fibers, motor units, and ensure that the quality of the session stays high. So you can implement different velocity loss thresholds based on what you want. If you want a real big metabolic physiological stimulus, great, put a great big velocity loss threshold, 30% threshold. And that's going to drive a different adaptation than if you're going to use a 10, 15% velocity loss threshold. So you can have these divergent responses, even though you're lifting the same bar or the same load by basing off when you terminate the set or how many, how much volume you do. That makes sense, right? Because sometimes you've got to do power work with uh, heavy bars. Sometimes you've got to do power work with light bars. But it's still power work. You know what I mean? If you want to do a hypertrophy set, you can still use a heavy bar or a light bar. It just means you've got to go to close to failure. So the thing is, is that we can terminate sets using velocity loss thresholds to, um, to kind of preferentially cause adaptations that are desirable for our athletes. 
one thing that we haven't touched on, you've mentioned a couple of different technologies, and this is something that I'm interested in based on your experience, because there's probably not many people around who've got the experience as a, as a coach, as a researcher, but also within the tech that's available and, and diving into uh, for various different reasons there. We had, you know, Jim Aware has been around for a, for a long time. Um, Push kind of came and has disappeared because of various, <laughs> not, not because of them, but obviously the acquisition they, disappeared. And then we've got other camera-based technologies that have been developed and have kicked on. And you mentioned Perch being one of them. Where are we at with the technology that's available for, for VBT? Yeah, it's a good question. And um, as you said that, my mind kind of immediately thought that there's kind of four, four main categories, if you will. You've kind of got uh, linear transducers. So things like uh, the gymwear. And I say linear transducer because there are linear position transducers and linear velocity transducers. And while they're different, they kind of do the same things and they kind of look the same. They have a tether which connects to the barbell. And the strength of those devices is that they have a direct measure of displacement. And when you have a direct measure of displacement in your time, you can accurately, like very accurately, calculate velocity. And with that technology, if you've got a very accurate measure of velocity, it means that you can um, use the whole gamut of velocity-based training because everything is accurate. So that's a real strength. That's a real strength of them. Uh, a little bit of a con because everything has strengths and weaknesses, right? So one of the weaknesses is that you've got a tether connected to the barbell. And some athletes don't necessarily like that. I've never had a problem myself, but some weightlifting athletes, you know, when they're particularly doing Olympic weightlifting, the bar's coming from overhead down and they're worried about slamming you know a couple of hundred kilograms into a uh, into a linear transducer yeah that, that could be a con because you're not going to have that linear transducer for long um but you know that, that that's the reality of it you know so you've got this pro great accuracy and ama- amazingly uh, amazing ability to monitor volumes and intensities but you know it's also got to be attached to the barbell but then you've also got accelerometers and um I kind of touched upon this in um, a 2021 paper where I talked about all that, uh, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of all the technology on the market, or the validity and reliability, and and we showed that kind of the the validity of accelerometer-based units um, aren't quite where they need to be. And you, you well, you stated perch, uh, not perch, push, push before, and push um, was an accelerometer which you put on the arm, and we found that uh, as the barbell went faster. Uh, it got more inaccurate, which is real alarming because you want to use those devices to be accurate. So accelerometers have their weaknesses in some ways because you know they, they can be a little bit of a number random number generator at times. Like they have their, they have their strengths, which is that they're not necessarily attached to the barbell; they're attached to the individual. But they, you suffer with inaccuracy. Alternatively, we have this. Um, two kind of growing areas as well you've got camera based systems which are again like perch and elite form <clears throat> and um they're showing real great promise and one of the strengths of them is that nothing's connected to the barbell hell it's just sitting up on the rack it's just watching you as you exercise and the barbell is going up and down it's giving you feedback and it's giving you numbers that's excellent however what we're seeing with some of this camera technology is that you are slightly limited by the frame rate so um you know, you can, if, if you've got a really good like high-speed camera in the system, you can then have really accurate measures of velocity. However, if you're kind of got a slower measure of uh, a slightly slower camera, you might have you might be able to capture those peaks as easily. 
And the issue with that is that a lot of exercises needs to use peak velocity rather than mean velocity. Peak velocity for Olympic weightlifting, ballistic exercises, exercises where you go up in the air. You need to use peak because you you don't want to monitor the time when they're in the air because they're not doing anything. So that, that can be a limitation itself. Furthermore, that if the, the field of view isn't very big and you've got someone like you working someone, someone like me on a rack, then you might be able to go, okay, Rob's taller than me and he's doing an overhead press and the bar goes out of view. That's a limitation in itself, but that's okay. Um, so there's some great strength there because there's nothing attached to the bar, but hey, you might suffer with some accuracy or losing the monitoring of the bar. And finally, um, there's another device called Flex, which is used like optic laser system. And they come out and they're actually made by the same makers of uh, Gymwear, so Kinetic Performance, uh, both those from, um, from Canberra and Australia. And they use a direct measure of displacement as well through the laser. It's kind of like, you know, your builder or your tradie, how they've got a laser pointer and they can, they can assess how far away something is. Well, that uses the same system. However, uh, and sorry, and that's great because it's really accurate. And hey, it's on the bar. So it's nothing's attached to the bar, which is then attached to the ground. So no tether or anything. It's not going to fall off. But the issue is, is that that laser system then has to hit a reflective mat. And I think, um, you know, despite us working with athletes and them being amazing individuals on the field or on the court or on the track or wherever, the issue is that often in the gym they're not that graceful and there's uh, you know people bumping into each other and plates going everywhere and the mats getting you know kicked to the side because someone's trying to put some bars or weights up on the side of the rack and you kind of then sometimes uh, see athletes who forget to train over that reflective surface so you know there's strengths and weaknesses with everything and I think um, it's really horses for courses how much accuracy do you and your club need what is it that you're trying to do and maybe is it what what sort of exercises as well or how often are you implementing this technology to monitor and prescribe and enhance training performance because all of these decisions dictate what technology that you end up choosing i'm going to throw well i'm not going to throw you under the bus here but i'm going to ask you what do you think's got the most longevity and potential for development in terms of those those four categories that you've mentioned there <laughs> Yeah, this is this is a hard question because, um, watch that. And watch I'm that. just going to do the most clicking that pen as well. Oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No um, sorry, bro. I just realised. Um, it's a really good point. <laughs> sorry, mate. Um, this is a really good point, bro. Um, I think. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to play a real political a political answer here, and because I'm going to make. Um, a lot of people angry or upset and I, and it's not what I want because every all this technology is, is quite amazing but what I'm seeing on the on the market right now is that the Gymaware is probably the most accurate device in sports technology in the world you know we've got accelerometers that monitor stride rates as people are running around on the field that's cool that's cool but it, you know stride rates are quite hard to detect and all that sort of stuff there's noise there's variability I get it then you've got GPS systems which are triangulating people on the planet through satellites floating around the world and that blows my mind but they, they triangulate them within a couple of meters and that's pretty cool too amazing but then you've got linear transducers which are detecting barbells within millimeters and that's an amazing feat and 
in my experience in strength and conditioning and sports science, I've never seen technology which can be that accurate and that consistently accurate. So that's remarkable. Probably, and so it's really hard to improve long term if you're that accurate to begin with. However, so I think um, you know some of these camera-based systems are, are, are remarkable as well. And I think as the technology gets better, as you know the software engineers, the hardware engineers can refine these products, that you know these linear transducers are going to have to look over their shoulders because these camera systems are remarkable, remarkable. Um, the technology is still developing. The accuracy is still getting there, but. Just like everything, technology improves over time, and it'll be it'll be a pretty fierce market soon if it's not already. Do these camera-based systems detect the, the particular exercise that the participant, the athlete, is actually performing without having to be on screen? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, they can. They can. What they can, they can do that. Um, not all all camera-based systems, and I think it's something that um, a lot of the it's kind of machine learning isn't it? like you know there's certain yeah ups and downs and bar displacements which are specific to a certain movement and then i think they can um actually start to detect these movements as the individuals are as the individuals are exercising because in a perfect world what we want is the individual to go in there do their training session not have to fill around and just be given all the advantages with which velocity based training gives you um are we there yet not quite but over time, I think we will. And I, like even I'm working on projects which do similar sort of stuff like that right now. How close are the camera-based systems to the the um, gym as in the world? Uh, can, uh, like accuracy-wise? Yeah, accuracy-wise. And I suppose confidence from yourself as a, as a researcher looking into these products and, and people asking you, Jono, you know, what should we go for? At what point? Yeah. Like, how far away are we from you going take your pick because the, the in terms of accuracy like they're there it's yeah there. I, th- I, th- I think the most like, like to be fair the, the most accurate device on the market are linear transducers and most most impressively is the um, the gym wear they are they are exceptionally accurate and they're um, hats off to people like Evan Lawton who came out of the AIS from back in the day because he's developed a product um, um, with one, one with one of his colleagues but who have just been who are incredibly accurate um you know, I think it all comes down to though what what you want to do with it and how much accuracy you need, because I think um, like if I'm in the lab and I'm trying to you know do a assessment where I'm like as I was saying before with relative velocity loss thresholds, I'm taking people's blood and I'm trying to see changes in you know lactate or hormones or whatever it is that I'm trying to do. Well, I need like pinpoint accuracy. But the thing is, is that if I'm just like working with a group of footy players and then we're trying to get some feedback to improve our performance then hey I, as long as it's systematic it doesn't really matter um, but I think a lot you know these camera based systems will be improving over time and I think I think it's um, yeah I'd be surprised if they uh, if they weren't kind of um, you know elbowing close to the uh, linear position transducers uh, in the near future happy days so my last question for you what's next for you in this in this area what's next in this area Generally. Yeah. Look, man. I think, like, as I, I said this, I think, in, in my opening rant, and that um, the the velocity based training, um, sorry, all all of the work that we do can't just be interesting. It has to be really useful as well. Because I don't I don't care if you if it's interesting. If I can't use it, it's not useful for my athletes and the people that I consult for. So the thing is, is that the there's been a few projects which which have been going on. The first and foremost is that, um, and, I, and my students are going to 
they always say I kind of try and shine the spotlight on them um, excessively in these moments, but it, I'm so impressed by the work they do. People like Nick Cowley um, out of ACU here, he's doing work where he's comparing uh, velocity-based training, rating of perceived exertion, reps in reserve, and percentage-based training. And he's showing that, hey, what are the effects when we compare all these methods? Okay, there's big differences in kinetic and kinematic outputs, big differences in fatigue, big differences in subsequent like um, uh, like performance within session and as they recover over time. You know how people perceive it, how people enjoy it, and all this, he's done a monster study this lad, and it's kind of showing hey that if you want X, you should choose this thing here. Or if you want why, you should choose this training protocol here or this training method here. And I think that's going to be a really, really cool study in the near future that's going to come out. And um, fortuitously, I've uh, hit the the data, I've just seen the data and it's pretty exciting. And uh, well, I think it's exciting at least. But, you know, because we... You go, you go to any bodybuilding forum, any weightlifting forum, any strength and conditioning environment, and people are arguing about, oh, I use RPE or I use RIR or I use VBT or percentage-based training or whatever it might be. But we don't have a definitive answer because no one's ever compared them. So that's a really cool study. I also think there's some great research from um, uh, like people like Tandy Wood who's going to be doing some feedback work. Um, and also we've got some work with um, female athletes because we know that females are underrepresented in sports science and we need to start correcting some of these issues that we've had and uh, neglecting um, you know, you know, 50% of the population. So um, some of the work that people like Gabby Montiano are doing around uh, training across the, mesoci- uh, across the menstrual cycle um, and um, looking at how we can manipulate training loads based on fluctuations in hormones and I think and we're monitoring all their velocities and performance within sessions but we're also doing comprehensive like dietary analysis sleep analysis changes in physical adaptations across every training session you know dexes ultrasounds you know strength adaptations isometric dynamic you know everything under the under the sun and we're monitoring these females as they're training and adapting their training through you know their hormones through traditional prescription and also through, also through auto regulation. So I think that's going to be a really, really cool study. In some ways, I think that's probably going to be the most impactful work I'm, I might ever be involved in. So um, yeah, shout out to those kind of three students who are, who are absolutely killing and I'm incredibly proud of them that's as well. That's a big shout. That's a big statement, but I love it. Um, so is anyone that wants to get involved and get to read your work, where's the best place? Everything on ResearchGate? Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, ResearchGate... Um, uh, you know, hate mail at robpacey.com. Uh, yeah, um, no, I think I like, I, I, I love hearing from people. I'm far more accessible than people I think often realize so that they can always email me. You know, you can reach out. Um, you know, I think I, I once did a, a podcast or something similar with you once and you said, do you don't have an Instagram? And so I, I went and got an Instagram. So <laughs> Jonathan underscore weekly, I think underscore PhD. Um, and so they can also DM me or something like that. That's fine too. But all, all, all of this information I try and make as freely as available as possible and try and um, try and be accessible to people because well, at the end of the day, we're just trying to improve our athletes' performance. So we should be accessible. We should be make it facilitating these discussions. So of course, my email—you can reach out on email or um, but things like ResearchGate is always a safe bet for the actual papers that I'm publishing. Perfect. Well, Jono, as always, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for the last hour, hour and a little bit, and um, look forward to catching up hopefully in Brisbane soon. Yeah, any time, man. It's, uh, it's definitely a bit warmer out here than uh, old sunny Leeds. <laughs> it is, mate. It is. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. I'll let you go. Thanks, mate. Thank you, brother. Cheers. 
tuning in to episode 466 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. What a pleasure it was to speak to John over the last hour and get a real insight into where velocity-based training is. Also, big thanks to Team Builder and Play for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run its current form without these guys, so I really do appreciate all their support. Big thanks to you for tuning in and look forward to chatting to you next time. Mm-hmm.